0: Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung and welcome to Prophecy Today. We're looking forward to 90 minutes. If you can give it to us, we're going to be giving you the world. Our broadcast partners are standing by across the world to report on current events in light of the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible Prophecy. I'm here in Temporary Studios, Louisville, Ohio. We're going to be at the chapel in Marlborough, and we're going to be with Pastor Joel Cochran, all of his fine people. We're going to have an all-day prophecy conference, and then Monday evening as well. It's in Louisville, Ohio, the chapel in Marlborough. And if you're in the listening area... Want to invite you to come and be with us. Well, let's go to Ken Timmerman. He's in southern France, and from that vantage point, he's able to look around the world and see what's happening. Ken, you've got pretty good eyesight. You saw all the way to Japan where the G20 is taking place. Understand there was a sidebar meeting between President Trump and President Putin of Russia. And I understand that it started pretty lighthearted. Uh, with the president kind of shaking his finger at Putin because of the interference in the U.S. elections last year. What is your report on this sidebar meeting?
1: Well, a very important sidebar meeting, and certainly the American press is, and probably the international press, is going to focus on that sort of tut-tut moment. Hey, Vlad, hope you don't interfere, intervene in next year's election moment. But that was really made for the media. It's Donald Trump, the media impresario, who knows how to lead the media by the nose. He created that moment to divert the media from the real event of that meeting, which was the fact that here he is finally sitting down with the president of Russia. He's been really prohibited from doing this by Democrats in Congress and by the media for the past two years in a serious way. And having a serious discussion when he was asked what they discussed, he told the media, it's none of your business. And that is absolutely right. They have Iran to discuss. They have Syria to discuss. They have the U.S.-Russia bilateral relationship to discuss and many other things. And it is not time to put this all out into the public forum. This is not the time of summits where you have bilateral communiques that have been hammered out in advance by staff members. This is really the one-on-one meeting eye-to-eye between the presidents to try to come to some kind of understanding of what the limits are. President Trump is telling President Putin, you can go this far but not beyond it. Don't force me to take more serious measures against you. So it was a very, very important meeting, one that has been long in coming, should have happened a long time ago.
0: Well, uh, the Trump Peace Plan conference that's going on, it's an economic approach to peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. is simply somewhat of a bleep on the Israeli screen. Their political activities, of course, headed towards that election in September and Iran, and it looks like Iran is getting closer and closer to a time when they want to go after Israel, Israel preparing for war with Iran right now.
1: Well, that's absolutely true. And the Iranians are telling the Israelis that they're going to attack. They're saying, We're, we've got you in our gun sights. Uh, we've got 150,000 missiles on you from the north, from Hezbollah. We've got another 100,000 from the south in Gaza. And they're using those missiles already, Jimmy. It's not an idle threat. The Iranians have built up military capabilities over the past four to five years, right on Israel's border. But the Israelis, under Benjamin Netanyahu, who have been very careful to hone their own capabilities and to try to push the Iranians back, at least in Syria, away from the Israeli border. This confrontation is coming. It's definitely coming, but the Israelis are doing everything they possibly can to push back the dates of the coming war.
0: Well, it is definitely coming. That's an absolute Ezekiel chapter thirty eight, Psalm eighty three, and Daniel chapter eleven foretells in fact pre writes history to the extent that we know it will happen. Ken, what about the Iranians and the Iraqis getting together? Uh, They're going to uh, put together a joint military exercise, missile defense, and the possibility of the influence on Mosul. What do you know there?
1: Well, this is truly bad news. Again, it's something that the Iranians are trying to do. They're trying to assert their dominance over the Iraqi government and now the Iraqi military, uh, which, uh, remember, we spent in the United States blood and treasure 4,000 and... 400 mostly men gave their lives to free iraq from saddam hussein and to keep iraq free to help build their new republican government and now it's being tossed away you know once we pulled back under obama in 2011 we lost our influence in iraq has been very difficult to rebuild it and the iranians filled back a vacuum and this latest move is to hold a joint military exercise with iraq uh, it's not sure that that's going to happen yet. If it does, though, Jimmy, I think it's going to be, have very negative impact uh, a very negative impact on the U.S.-Iraqi military relationship, uh, because once Iran implants itself in the Iraqi military, our folks, our military people, become a lot less comfortable uh, dealing with the Iraqi military.
0: And at the same time, they've got to watch what's going on in the continent of Africa, Iran over there forming terror cells in Africa for the purpose of attacking the United States. What's the latest?
1: Well, this, again, is a long-term objective of the Iranian regime. It's not new in Africa. It's perhaps a new development. It's not new around the world. They've been doing it in Latin America for 20 years. They've been doing it, obviously, in the Middle East. But the Iranian regime likes to go after the periphery. They like to attack us far away from home where we're not defending ourselves. And so now their latest move is to set up terror cells in Africa, in Chad, in Nigeria, in Niger, uh, and other countries there in the center of Africa where they think we're not going to pay a lot of attention and apparently this is new intelligence of information that's come out over the past week that Iran has been building these active terror cells to go after American interests. As I say, it's not new in a geopolitical sense. The Iranians have always wanted to do this, but that they now feel comfortable enough and, uh, I should say, affluent enough to build those networks in Africa is significant. It shows a, a confidence in this regime in Tehran, which is uh, disconcerting for
0: us. It seems like Africa becoming somewhat of a battlefield between China and iran and their development of uh, patriots there to assist them in their ultimate goal that is possibly a very viable position for both china and iran is it not
1: well that could be an interesting conflict because the chinese have been moving into africa over the past decade a little bit more buying up natural resources buying governments building mega projects all across Africa in exchange for for oil interest, minerals, gold, diamonds, uh, you name it, copper, uh, all kinds of things. And the Chinese have been buying up these natural resources from the Africans, giving very little in exchange. They're not developing the countries. But to see Iran and China pitted against each other will be quite a delight.
0: Yes, that'll be very, very interesting to watch. I guess the president's much concerned about it. In fact, he dispatched the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, to the Middle East to build a global coalition against Iran. I mean, he means business, and he's going to get the secretary out there, see if he can put together a coalition.
1: He does, and this meeting in Bahrain, which was aimed at making the deal for the Palestinians, which they just they just as quickly as the deal was made, they, they rejected it. Mahmoud Abbas rejected $50 billion over 10 years. He says, well, you know, that's not going to give us a state, which is true. But Mike Pompeo is out there working with our Arab allies, and I can now, I think, call them allies in Saudi Arabia, the UAE in particular, Kuwait to a lesser extent, working to build a bulwark against iran and their expansion we have active allies willing allies now going against iran and uh, a secretary of state who understands what the stakes are For the U.S. and our interests and the freedom of navigation in the Persian Gulf in particular.
0: Well, I've got to say that Russia is probably not one of those allies. And here's the reason I make this statement. Last week we talked about the Trilateral Security Summit that took place in Jerusalem between Russia, the United States, and Israel. And it looks like the end result was Russia actually came out in favor of Iran and against both the United States and Israel. I mean, they're playing their normal game, aren't they?
1: Well, yes, but this was really significant. We had our eye on this all week, you and I, and we talked about it last week before it happened. And to hear the Russians take the Iranian point of view. So now we have it, Jimmy. Here's the setup. Russia and Iran, firm allies not just diplomatic allies, not just economic allies, but military allies against the United States and Israel and proclaiming it. That is a big
0: deal. That is a big deal. And Ken, as you look around the world, it looks like we're right on the precipice of going into really some type of military action, at least in some region of the world. I mean, would you say that's where we are today?
1: Well, I think with any other president that would be true. President Trump was elected not to take America to war, but to stop needless wars. And so I think he's going to do everything that he can to keep from committing us to a major international military conflict. He doesn't want to do that. On the other hand, as he sent John Bolton, his national security advisor, around to say, patience and willingness to talk does not mean weakness and and he wants the iranians in particular the russians also to understand this don't push us too far there will come a time that you push us too far and you will be very sorry that you did because we will respond we will respond militarily we will respond in places that you don't expect us and with a force that you're not quite prepared for so yes i think there will be a conflict i happen to think at this point that the president of the united states wants to make it a keep it a limited conflict he doesn't want a major war He wants to respond to aggression and to keep our enemies at bay and to let them know, don't attack us. Don't tickle the tail of the tiger because the tiger will bite you.
0: (laughs) The tiger will bite. That's an absolute also. That was the voice of Ken Timmerman. He's a journalist. He said a former. No, no, man, that guy is a journalist today, has great insight, traveled the entire world, knows what's going on. That's why we go to him on a weekly basis to find out what is happening geopolitically. I want to thank you, Ken, again for your service to us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hope to talk to you again next week.
1: Always a pleasure, Jimmy. God bless.
0: We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan, he has a Middle East news update, more in depth, especially focusing on Israel. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: How do you like your news?
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung, I'm here in Temporary Studios, located in Louisville, Ohio. We'll be at the chapel in Marlboro, and that's going to be a great opportunity for you in that area to come study the prophetic word of God. Well, as promised, we're going to David Dolan. He has his Middle East News update. This is Essential Information that we have to have if we're looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. So David, let me get right underway. I have about five items, if we can uh, make sure we try to get them all in. Uh, The President Trump Peace Conference there in Bahrain, simply a bleep on the Israeli screen because of the political situation and the Iranian crisis that's going on. Talk to me, we don't need to really talk about the conference. The Palestinians didn't show up. The Israelis are not there. uh, Because of, I believe, the fact that the Prime Minister has a lot to deal with in the political situation, what's the latest on that and the upcoming elections?
3: Well, Jimmy, the Peace to Prosperity Conference, as it was called, uh, was uh, covered in Israel. But as you suggest, very little attention compared to what was going on in the political scene. We had the uh, former Prime Minister Ehud Barak jumped into the electoral race. We had more Palestinian balloons coming across the border from Gaza. We had all the Iranian situation going on and the uh, uh, talks in Jerusalem with the Russians and the Americans. So it really was seen as a very much a sideshow. Actually, Jimmy, the prevailing view that I saw in the Israeli media was that this was really underneath everything else, an attempt to get the Gulf Arab states and Egypt and others together against Iran, that it was really a show of force against Iran, showing that, hey, we'll even make peace with Israel over your uh, threats, Iran. So that really seems to be what was underneath the whole thing, and uh, a great plan maybe, but very unlikely we'll ever see the light of day.
0: Yes, somebody said it's going to be dead on delivery. And that may well be the case, especially with the rest of the plan. We're talking about prosperity now. Peace is the next step. And with the Israeli elections coming up and then the beginning of the year of campaigning for the re-election of Donald Trump may put a real problem in place here in order to get that forward. And I also read that the Palestinians, they failed to attend the Bahrain conference because they're preparing to destroy the state of Israel. What do we know about that? Is there anything new on that side?
3: Well, Jimmy, again, the uh, country of Iran comes right up to the top. Very closely allied, as we've been discussing for some years now, with Islamic Jihad, the Palestinian terror group in the Gaza Strip, also with Hamas and, of course, their um, allied force in Lebanon and etc., So the Israelis still see the overall situation as surviving the Iranian vow to destroy them. Now, of course, the Palestinians see a chance, at least many of them do, to actually destroy Israel now because they've got an ally that's deemed strong enough that possibly they can do this. So that's the reality of the current situation. And as I've been saying for some years, there's going to be no forward movement towards, quote, peace. Until this huge elephant in the room is dealt with, that's Iran, and its proxy forces, and its nefarious actions, and as we talked about last week, arming the Palestinians and giving them missiles, et cetera. That's the real issue here that Netanyahu is addressing, that America is addressing, and this other thing is... Basically, irrelevant at this point. And the Palestinians want to see Israel destroyed. They can't do it alone, but maybe they're hoping with Iran's help, maybe Russia, maybe some others, they can do it.
0: Well, I'm not sure about Russia. Let me just talk to you about that trilateral security conference uh, that took place there in Jerusalem. That was historic, meeting there in Jerusalem between the United States, Israel, and Russia. And as it looks to the reports I'm getting, it looks like Russia went out in favor of Iran and against the United States and Israel. What do you know on that report?
3: Well, we know that for certain, Jimmy, because the Russian national security advisor that attended, Nikolai Petrushev, said afterwards, I'm quoting, Iran was and remains our ally and partner. And he went on to say that we don't support Israeli actions against Iran and Syria. We haven't stopped them, but we're not in favor of them that we're not going to push Iran out of Syria, et cetera. So the main goal, apparently, of John Bolton and Mayor Ben Shabbat, the Israeli national security advisor that attended, but he was very much upstaged by a man named Bibi Netanyahu, who also showed up and was really conducting the meeting, frankly. Um, The main point that they made is that this issue of Iran is the central one. And, again, the Russians, as I mentioned last week, are showing that they are making up their mind in this conflict, and they're not, surprise, surprise, siding with America, Donald Trump. They're not, surprise, surprise, siding with Israel. They're going to remain with Iran and its nefarious allies. So that's the reality, Jimmy. You know, the prophecies indicate this would be the case, but that was the overall conclusion. And meanwhile, of course, And Netanyahu took John Bolton over the West Bank in a helicopter and showed him the valley and everything. He's seen it before, but pointing out that we cannot give up this territory. This will remain always part of Israel, he said, from the Jordan River to the west. So um, that was the real action that was going on behind the scenes here.
0: David, last week you reported that the largest military exercise that Israel had ever performed or been a part of took place last week. Now that, as I understand it from your report, was preparations for the war in Iran. Are they continuing to be on alert as they were with that exercise going on?
3: Yes, Jimmy, uh, full alert, especially in the north. We have the Hezbollah leader this week say we don't want war, but we're ready for it. He indicated, this is uh, Sheikh Nasrallah, that uh, Hezbollah would join Iran in any action that involves the United States, i.e. they will attack Israel. Uh, with their forces. He bluntly stated that really. So yes, the situation overall in the region remains very much on the Israelis' mind. We've had new US Marine forces arrive off the coast of Iran. They can they're land born guys, they can get off that craft and get on to Iranian soil very quickly. The Iranian foreign minister replied that You don't dare do that. We will destroy you. So war words going on, 70,000, Jimmy, U.S. troops are in the Middle East region now. They're being buttressed in Iraq, in Syria, and in the Gulf and in other areas, in Israel itself. So it still very much looks like a showdown, a military showdown, is coming probably fairly soon. And the Israelis fully expect that they will be dragged into it. They don't want it. But they have no choice. And like I've said so many times, two to make peace, one to make war. Iran seems determined to go to war here.
0: David, I've covered the Middle East as a journalist for about 25 years. You've covered it for 35 years. And you know what's going on in that part of the world. The Palestinians have never been a state. They've never had a state. But now at a U.N. debate, in fact, they're in Jerusalem Uh, the Palestinians are calling for statehood during this debate. I mean, they, they don't have any fear, do they, as it relates to accomplishing what they want to accomplish.
3: Well, Jimmy, as Israeli leaders have been saying for decades, we don't want you not to have a state. We would be happy for you to settle down in a state. But if that state is going to replace us, if it's going to take our ancient jewish uh, center our our religious center and now our political capital jerusalem out of our hands uh, then of course we're not going to support that so uh, basically uh, jared kushner said that at the peace to prosperity conference in a speech he gave that it's up to the palestinians to choose peace or war and if they keep choosing war which essentially they've been doing then uh, there will be no peace so the israelis have no choice but to carry on and again they have much bigger issues right now than the palestinian question but the united states uh... president trump wants to see a solution he wants to see prosperity but the palestinians have Frankly, Jimmy rarely chosen prosperity over war, and they could have had a state a long time ago had they, you know, stopped warring against the Jewish state. They haven't, and they still remain in this terrible situation. And it is a terrible situation, but the Middle East as a whole is a terrible situation, to say the least right now.
0: You've always said there will be no peace process that will be successful. Do you still agree with that statement?
3: Well, I do. And again, the prime minister, I'm quoting, the West Bank will be always in our hands. We won't give that up. The Palestinians are not going to give up their demand for a state. So no, I don't see, again, you have to have to have peace in your heart first before it actually transcends and becomes reality on the ground. And There just doesn't seem to be any desire to accept Israel. And again, I think that's a spiritual route, Jimmy. You know Israel's reappearance, a sign that the God of Israel is God. Islam does not believe that, and that's the bottom line
0: here. That's the voice of David Dolan. He knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He studied the Word of God, but he also knows the political aspect of what's happening in the Middle East as well. David, excellent report. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad's standing by. He's going in-depth as it relates to the Bahrain conference and the problems out of that conference. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, and we're thrilled to have you along as we continue into the 90 minutes that I've asked for in order for us to look with you as we talk with our broadcast partners at current events in light of the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. In this half hour, we'll be talking with Dr. Don DeYoung. There was an earthquake. At the Dead Sea this week, we're going to talk about that fault line, the Rift Valley, all the way from Syria to Kenya, Africa. Well, we'll get to that, but right now I want to go to Winky Madad. Winky is a broadcast partner par excellence. He helps us in almost any and every subject that we want to talk about. And, Wiki, what I would like to do is uh, simply look at this Bahrain Economic Conference. I want to know, first of all, do you think it's good, it's going to develop anything, or it's just a waste of time? What are your thoughts?
4: Well, Jimmy, let's put it this way. Nothing has worked in the past 100 years. Or should I say, nothing else has worked in the past 100 years. We had a mandate that was authorized by the highest international legal body at the time the league of nations we had a partition plan by the united nations we had 242 338 we had negotiations we had camp david 1 we had camp david 2 and i don't want to keep on going but the litany goes on and on and you're about aware of it as much as i am it was predicated on negotiations on territorial compromise on political arrangements, security needs. There were confidence-building measures. That was one of the phrases. Menachem Begin offered autonomy, a loan plan, Dayan plan, everything. For one, someone says, let's put all that aside, and let's start from the other side. Let's make the Arabs of Palestine feel that they have a future, because their leaders and you know this, have kept in basically kidnapped and hostage to uh, radicals and extremists from the 1920s on, whether it's Hajamin Amin Shukeri, or, or Yasser Arafat and Hamas on down to today. Let's say to them, look, if everything is okay economically, and through economics you get to know the Israelis better, then maybe you can proceed. Why not give it a chance?
0: Well, that is probably maybe a good idea, and I would guess that's the foundation upon which President Trump is moving forward, kind of handicapped because of a Prime Minister Netanyahu being able to form a government, and they have to go back there in Israel to reelections. We'll talk about that in a moment. But my main question is, how can you accomplish anything at a conference like that, if the Palestinians are not even in attendance?
4: Well, to be fair, Israel didn't have an official uh, delegation itself. Uh, The Trump administration, Kushner, Greenblatt, they decided that if the Arabs of Palestinian authority are not coming, let's cancel the official Israeli delegation, although there were Israelis there, and not only journalists, but businessmen. And that was basically, uh, I think, One of the media outlets said, well, we finally know the secret, that there are extensive economic, commercial, and business links between Israel and Israelis and a lot of the Middle East countries, especially in the Gulf and other places. Now, obviously, if hatred is to be continued by the Palestinian National Authority, if they reject anything less than 101%, uh, we're going to have problems. But I think the Trump administration is pointing out, let's try to chip away at this wall of animosity and hostility that has been up for so long, and try to offer people a better vision, a better horizon for their future. Maybe that will break into some sort of a peace, or at least a pathway to peace. Why not try it? Why reject it? Why be so stubborn and maybe... In this sense, Jimmy, the Palestinian Authority will be isolated, and they won't get money from Qatar anymore, and they won't get support from the Arab League because everybody else is saying, and we heard these stories, even Saudi Arabians are saying, Israel is here to stay, let's get on with everything. Maybe there's a possibility here of moving forward.
0: Well, the moving forward possibility is there, of course. But I remember, and I know that Israel, down through the years, has done everything they possibly can to assist the Palestinians in becoming prosperous. If that would lead to peace, they're ready to do that. However, we have to drop back to 2005 with the evacuation out of the Gaza Strip of that outstanding Kibbutz area there. Uh, That was a great agricultural producing location. And they gave that to the Palestinians. They just tore it up and used it as a launch pad for firing rockets at Israel, did they not?
4: That's true, Jimmy. Uh, I won't deny that. But I think the point needs to be made to, to our audience that this is the first time these past two or three years that we had an American administration that has not adopted the negative or the, should I say better, the not-quite-positive attitude towards Israel that all previous administrations have taken. The State Department has insisted on the two-state solution. Kushner and company have not put that in the front. And even Trump, you remember his famous statement, one state, two state, whatever they want. This time, we have a possibility of possibility, I'm saying, of an American administration, and if he gets re-elected, Jimmy, that's another four years, that says, I tried all the best for the Palestinians. I don't care anymore about them. I'm sure Israel can take care of itself. I'm not going to be criticizing Israel and United Nations. I'm not going to make anti-Israel statements from the State Department or other forums, which we remember from the Obama and Carter and Clinton administrations. And Israel can get on with itself, and maybe the isolation will increase. Maybe that will help. Or maybe it won't, but at least Israel has a friend in Washington, Jimmy, who must be supported, by the way, and that will help us out.
0: You know, it's interesting to me to note that because uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was not able to form a government, now Israel goes back to elections in September by the time he does, if he's capable of doing it the second time to form a government, if indeed, in fact, he's even the one chosen. There's going to be a problem because by the time uh, the government has been formed in Israel, it'll be somewhere in the area of November, and that's the beginning of the year of campaigning to be reelected by Donald Trump. That's going to throw a kink in the whole structure of this peace deal, peace process. So is it a waste of time to do this, or is this a PR move there in Bahrain?
4: Well, if, if you ask me, is it always a waste of time to try to negotiate with Arabs of Palestine? I'd have to admit, yes. But I'm not an, a government official. I'm just a uh, person from the outside looking in and trying to give some expert opinion. And, uh, if that is the case, as you said, we're talking about October, November. Well, that's, that's the loss of the Palestinian Authority. They were the ones who refused to come in. Israel was willing even though, if you remember, uh, some of the items of the security and diplomatic chapters of the Trump plan of the century, such as a corridor or, or a railway that links Gaza to Judea and Samaria, perhaps would not be the best for Israel, but it would be a minor thing that uh, would, if everything would be okay with the American administration, that we're in line with them, that we're moving forward with them, And I think that's the most important thing. If we have an American administration on our side, I
0: don't think we can lose. That is maybe a very good thought as far as the Israelis are concerned. However, when you stop to think about what Israel would like to do, for example, the prime minister promised in his last campaign that he was going to annex Judea and Samaria and then, of course, put them under the sovereignty of the state of Israel. I was listening to an interview by the U.S. Ambassador Friedman when he came back from the Bahrain conference. Someone asked, was there any mention about annexing Judea and Samaria. But I know the answer to that question. Israel wants to do that. They don't want to divide Jerusalem. They don't want to return to the 67 borders. So there are a lot of non-starters. You're hoping and praying that this is going to kickstart the whole process.
4: Well, Jimmy, I think, look, Friedman and Greenblatt have been very outspoken on the fact that the Israeli, or I should say the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, are not Illegal. That is a major move, and I think it's the correct decision. Whether or not Israel annexes or extends sovereignty, or uh, as Netanyahu, I think actually we spoke about extending or annexing the communities themselves. Uh, in other words, those areas in and around the communities, rather than the whole chunk of territory. But that's not the point. The point is, do the Arabs of the Palestinian Authority on the ground, realize that their leadership is continuing to lead them into a, a dead end, into more frustration, into more inability to send their children to college and university and all sorts of other industrial and economic advances that we see in Barkhan, which is a industrial complex north of where I am living right now. And maybe they eventually will either vote or somehow other change their leadership. And then we can have a more peaceful arrangement of our relationship between the Arabs of uh, Palestine and uh, the Jews of Israel.
0: Well, we'll stay on top of this story with Winky Madad. But Winky, you and I both read the last chapter. Everything's going to work out as far as Israel's concerned. They'll have all the land that God has promised them, and there'll be no controversy about it, correct?
4: Uh, that's, that's my reading, not only the good book, uh, but of the, as I mentioned before, the entire process of diplomatic negotiations with the Arabs of Palestine who refuse to recognize the reality, and the more they are stubborn, the more they lose. So we have both a, a spiritual and a diplomatic historical evolvement here that combines and dovetails uh, very much so.
0: Winky, thank you so very much for your insight. Always a joy to be able to call you, ask you about anything, and you can give me an answer, a well-thought-out answer. Appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon.
4: Jimmy, thank you for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: Very important conversation with Winky Madad, looking into what's going on in Bahrain. We'll stay on top of that story. We have to, because it is key to the situation, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Well, there's another region of the world that is key also as it relates to Bible prophecy. That's the European Union and John Rood is the man who covers that force he's lived in that area in fact in brussels for over 30 years so he knows the european union he's been there a part of it for many many years as a journalist but uh, john i want to take a different focus if you don't mind today the g20 is going on in japan And there are 20 members of nations around the world, leaders of this world, that are in attendance. First of all, can you explain to us what the G20 is, and then actually, what do they do at that meeting? Yes, actually,
5: the G20 is very much a European Union story, and we'll get back to that. But the G20 stands for the Group of 20, and it's the largest and fastest-growing economies in the world represents 85% of the world's GDP. It's notable that the G20 actually began as a financial minister agreement and event, and through the financial crises that we've had, it's become more and more in the forefront. So it began in the financial crisis of 1999, and then after the financial crisis 2008, the heads of state, the presidents, the prime ministers, have always attended. So what we have now it's the EU, it's their premier world stage event. And so it treats the EU leaders on the same level of the heads of state, which they're not. And out of the 20 nations, you have France, Germany, Italy, United Kingdom, which are all EU members, And then Spain is invited on the side. So five of the 20 are EU members, and then another of the members is the EU itself, representing all 27. This is the platform where the EU shows itself on the world stage.
0: And in the conversation, the world leaders talk about economics, talk about security, talk about very key components of existing in this world with uh, the twenty largest economies in the world. So it's a it's a good meeting, a great forum, is it not?
5: I believe so. There's many side issues that happen at that time. For example, now President Trump he'll be speaking independently with China and in India. So it is a worldwide forum. It's a bit surprising to see the EU listed, you know, as the head uh, on the level of the heads of state. I would watch the EU's participation in the G20.
0: John, there's another conference that's going on in the Middle East there in Bahrain on the Persian Gulf area. It's kicked off and underway, just about to be completed, a two-day conference. Economically, they're trying to kickstart Uh, the Trump peace plan for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. A lot of different members from the Arab states and Muslim states are there, but I noticed Tony Blair, a former prime minister of Great Britain, was in attendance. I do know he was the peace envoy for the Quartet a number of years ago, has a great interest, I do believe, in the Middle East. What do you know about this story, John?
5: The Feast of Prosperity Conference in Bahrain is really a notable effort led by the United States towards a Middle East peace process. It focuses on an economic plan, which uh, should lead the framework for a political plan. There's $50 billion of profit incentive, business and investment, and uh, we know money talks, and so the surrounding countries are really thinking how they can participate in 173 projects. Tony Blair has shown up. At, at first, I felt that was a bit odd, uh, unusual, but uh, it's easy to see that he has filled the gap that was left by the non-participants from the Palestinian Authority and from Israel. And so he's a big supporter, as we know, of the two-state solution. And the conference actually closed out with a discussion between Tony Blair and Jared Kushner, the uh, son-in-law and advisor to President Trump, I watched it on. It, it has a lot of good sense to it. It makes perfect sense that the economics can lead to a political solution. That it's the groundwork for that. Although this this whole project has been cut down from the very very beginning, I do see that we need to be mindful that the European Union itself has used a very similar plan, but it you know can be twisted. So there is an economic agenda from the European Union through all these years in, in unification that's leading to a political agenda. In fact, they're trying to do it backwards to do all the political to survive. And so I think in the Peace of Prosperity process it's very notable. I think it makes great sense. But at the same time, I believe we have to be certain that in the future, whatever political plan, if any, comes together, that is not open to the same abuses that we're experiencing with today's European Union.
0: And I would agree with that statement, John. Very key. Accountability is so important in something like this. But I'm still interested in this situation about Tony Blair. Are the Muslim leaders, the Arab countries, are they paying attention to Tony, or is he a has-been?
5: That's a really, really good question. Uh, he's sort of a has-been it's not going away, so that doesn't make you a has-been. <laughs> uh, we'll have to see. He's certainly working quite closely with the United States, and uh, without other representation, then he was the man for the job. A very strong two-state solution person. I don't know if in the United Kingdom he's taken as seriously, but in a business aspect, uh, as we said, fifty billion dollars worth of projects. The business people of the Middle Eastern countries will be certainly looking to his his word and guidance.
0: Well, we'll stay on top of the story about Tony Blair and, of course, about what the result of the Bahrain conference is all about, see if they'll be able to continue what with the Israeli elections in September and November, of course, President Trump starts for his reelection in 2020. John, thank you so very much. Key information. You give us great insight, buddy. We'll talk again next week.
5: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: One of my favorite young men that I love to talk with. Now I don't know how young he is, I've never met him, but I know he has a great name and he is a D Young, that's for sure. We're talking about Dr. Don DeYoung, Young, who's the head of the science department at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. Don, there was a headline in the Israeli news this week that there was a earthquake, a minor earthquake, about three point five on the Richter scale that took place at the Dead Sea. I thought that would give us a great conversation because the Dead Sea is actually located along the Rift Valley that extends from Syria in the north to Kenya in the south. And this is one of those major earthquake fault lines, like the St. Andrew's Fault there in California, is it not, in that part of the world?
6: Well, uh, yes. Uh, it's, It's called the Great Rift Valley. It's a large fracture in the crust of the earth. And really, it begins uh, north of Israel and stretches way down into Africa. So it's a major fault line in the earth.
0: And I know that as I've studied history and as we lead tours there in Israel, we go, for example, to a place called Shan, That was one of the ten Decapolis cities during the times of the Bible. And it was totally destroyed. The remains, Their archaeologists are digging. It's a very interesting site for the tourists to travel there in Israel. We always go there if you like looking at rocks. But then when you see the rocks with a meaning behind them, it's very exciting. And that was uh, the cause of an earthquake uh, that took place. And they are seemingly doing it about every Somebody said 77 to 100 years looks like there's a time for another earthquake to come to that region. That is a possibility also, isn't it?
6: Well, certainly. And along with that major fault line, Israel has a number of cracks in the Earth's crust. Of course, they're all over the planet, and they lead to minor earthquakes. And sooner or later, as tensions build up underground, a major movement occurs, and then you have, you know, a serious earthquake. I also read about the recent one there in the Dead Sea area, and I looked it up. Actually, in the last year, there have been five other minor quakes similar to that. Mm. They're all just kind of reminders of... uh, a turbulence underground, that energy continues to be stored up for major
0: events. Do we see a 3.5 on the Richter scale earthquake, a precursor to a major big one in the future, possibly?
6: Well, yes. We haven't had a lot of success, you know, predicting earthquakes, but we begin to realize of the forces underground with these underground fractures, and um, sooner or later, sooner or later, they, they break loose. Probably small earthquakes are, are positive in that they are releasing energy in smaller amounts. As you mentioned, there have been major earthquakes there in the past, and there will be in the future. Uh, not that there is a regular periodicness to them, but uh, it will happen.
0: I've got today with that article that I read about this minor earthquake at the Dead Sea. It also included information about a Jewish rabbi Who is into biblical prophecy? Now, not quite exactly like you and I would see it, Don, but uh, from a Jewish perspective. And he mentioned this is a pre Messiah quake, and it's going to have major consequences in the future as it relates to prophecy. Now, I can think of two, and let me just talk to you about this there's an earthquake fault line between the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And of course, we know Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4 says that when Jesus steps down on the Mount of Olives, that earthquake's going to take place. So that fault line could be triggered at that time, could it not? Yes,
6: there is that fault line that goes right through the Mount of Olives, and uh, your reference there in zechariah fourteen talks about uh, that mountain being um, split and uh, almost like a valley uh, forming there at the lord 's return, so not that you know not that God needs fault lines to cause an earthquake, but they are there for our inspection
0: and that is a very interesting fault line. many people talk about it. When we take tours there, I stand on the Mount of Olives, look across the Kidron Valley there at the Temple Mount and say, well, whatever's up there, it's a gold dome building now. There will be a false temple during the tribulation period, but it's going to come down, and this way is going to be opened up. It says in verse 5, I believe it is, Zechariah 14, it's going to be opened up when that earthquake takes place for all the enemies of the Jewish nation and Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, the Messiah, to make their way up to the Jezreel Valley, which is about 97 miles to the north for the ultimate battle of Armageddon. Then uh, this uh, rabbi that I was reading in this article made a statement there could be an earthquake underneath the Dead Sea, which could loosen up fresh water, and he even said fish. Now, I know the Bible in the book of Ezekiel chapter 47 talks about when the Lord has built his millennial temple. Water comes out of that temple, goes into the Kidron Valley. It's about uh, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, shoulder deep. Then he has to swim the rest of the way down to the uh, valley, the Jordan Valley. And the Dead Sea, when he gets there, is going to be absolutely fresh water And there will be fishermen that will fish. I try to get rid of people bothering me to go fish in the Dead Sea. They can't do it now. But in the Millennial Kingdom, that's going to happen. And that'll be the cause, maybe, of an earthquake as well. What about the theory of the rabbi? An earthquake underneath the Dead Sea causing what he said.
6: Yes, I think that that is very possible. There certainly are pockets of fresh water different places around the earth. And uh, that reference in Ezekiel forty-seven does talk about fishing. I think it even mentions the En Gedi area, Dead Sea area, which will, yes, uh, become fresh water. You know, recently they've even found pockets of fresh water under the ocean in in the rocks down in the rock bed. So there's plenty of good fresh water different places. And uh, if the Lord wants to bring that up to freshen the Dead Sea, what a change that will be!
0: Absolutely. I wish it was that time. I want to tell you, Don, I'm ready to go, and let's be with uh, King Jesus forever. Well, earthquakes, of course, in the land of Israel have played a key role, both as you said a moment ago, in the past and in the future, and that's an absolute because God's Word says so, doesn't it?
6: Well, certainly, and again, they're all a good reminder of the Lord's control of the earth, When I look at the end times, however, you know, the earthquakes that are described in Ezekiel and in Revelation, they're said to be the greatest that there's ever been, and everybody on the planet will um, feel them. So the Lord has in store earthquakes like uh, we have never experienced.
0: Yes, indeed. And Don, that's why it's such a joy for me to be able to talk to you and, and get the scientific understanding of what we're talking about, but we know the prophetic is absolute, because it's in God's Word. Thank you so much, Don. We'll look forward to another conversation with you real soon.
6: Thank you, Jimmy, for the visit.
0: We're going to take a break. And after the break, we're going to have David James come and talk to us about an issue that the body of Christ needs to understand. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into our last half hour. I ask you for three half hours, 90 minutes. You've given it to me thus far, if you'll hang in here. And we'll have one more conversation with David James in a moment. I want to remind you that all day Sunday and then Monday evening, I'll be at the chapel in Marlboro, which is located in Louisville, Ohio. Pastor Joel Cochran invites everybody to come join us all day Sunday. We'll start at 10.15 in the morning, 5 o'clock for Prophecy Q&A, 6 p.m. in the evening for our study. And on Monday, the Q&A starts at 6 and the regular meeting at 7 p.m. Look forward to having you come and study the prophetic Word of God with us. I would love for you to answer our poll question. It's on the left-hand column of my home page. If you'll simply scroll down, you'll see that the poll question is, the starting point of the Trump peace plan for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was held this week in Bahrain, and it was the economic aspect of the plan, peace to prosperity. Do you believe that this plan will work Or will most of the world wait for the Antichrist to confirm a peace plan as foretold in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27? That's the poll question. Hope you'll go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and find out what the question is, answer it for us. And may I suggest while you're at the website, you may want to go over to Joshua Travel. We take about eight tours a year. Love to have you come to go to the land of the Bible. It is a great classroom for us to teach Bible prophecy. and we'd love to have you come. This will be an opportunity to visit the land of Israel. And then if you take the extension with us, you'll see one of the seven wonders of the world when we go across the border into the southern portion of modern-day Jordan to the impregnable city, that city that will be used in the Bible yet to come during the tribulation period, the city of Petra, the rose-red city. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to Joshua Travel, and find out how you can join us on a tour to the lands of the Bible. We now bring to these microphones David James, and we're going to have a discussion, our weekly conversation, dealing with an issue that the body of Christ, the church, we as Christians must have a biblical understanding of, this time the cultural wars, increasing intensity as Christians try to hold on and take their stand. You know, we don't often use the term cultural wars, which I did in the introduction, And we don't use that term on this program, but we're actually discussing this issue almost each and every week. And David, I have to believe that the conflict continues to intensify.
7: I would agree with you. A number of years ago, John MacArthur wrote a book on this very issue, Culture Wars, and as we observe each week as you and I keep our eyes on the headlines of what are coming out and try to do cutting-edge work on uh, topics that are breaking almost each and every week, what we see is that the attack on Christianity in general, biblical truth, is something that is happening not only here in the united states but worldwide in some places it takes the form of uh, direct persecution of christians in very anti-christian environments such as north korea china iran and other places uh, like northern india for example where christians are actually daily under the threat for their very lives simply because they name the name of jesus but in other places for example here in the west it may not take that form of absolute persecution in terms of physical harm. There is certainly a social and cultural component to that where the Word of God comes under attack daily, and also Christians who believe that the Bible is the Word of God, as you and I and most of our listeners do, we fall under mocking and various forms of even discrimination and being marginalized by the culture, and now it's rising to the level of entering into even the laws that are being put into place in places like the United States, Canada, Great Britain, and Western Europe, where Christian values are really coming under scrutiny, and, and many of the things that we believe are slowly but surely becoming illegal. And and I would also uh, point out to our listeners that you're getting ready, um, to my knowledge, you're getting ready to start a project on this this specific uh, topic of the cultural wars, and I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Well, I thank you very much for that, David. I am working on a series, and it may even become one of our video projects in the near future. But it's going to be entitled Prophecy and Cultural Wars. Now, my Long suit is the prophetic truth of God's Word, but as you say, it's becoming more and more prevalent and intensifying in our world, and the body of Christ is having to stand up against those warriors on the other side. The text I'm going to be using will be Second Timothy chapters 3 and 4. This is actually Paul's swan song, his last book. He gives us a great exhortation to look at the prophecies uh, that will pertain, uh, basically, to the cultural war activity. Uh, that's in the beginning of chapter 3. And then you see the power of God, the Word of God, Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture given by inspiration of God. We'll talk about the preaching. And in chapter 4, Paul exhorts us to preach the Word in season and out of season. And finally, he talks about the prize, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. In verse 7 of 2 Timothy 4, he said, I've run the race, fought the fight, kept the faith, and laid up for me is a crown of righteousness, but not for me only, for all who expect, who eagerly await the rapture of the church. And I think that's centerfold in what we as Christians need to understand in these days. We have to realize we're in a battle. It is a war, and we need to deal with it from the Scriptures, which is what we do right here on this broadcast when we have our conversation. David, the first thing I would like for you to discuss are the attacks by the mayor of South Bend against Vice President Mike Pence because of his views on sex, marriage, and the Christian family in general.
7: Well, it certainly has been an all-out frontal assault on Vice President Mike Pence. The South Bend mayor, Pete Buttigieg, claims to be a Christian. He claims to be a devout Christian. He grew up Catholic. He is presently converted to the Episcopal Church, and he says his faith has been a strong influence on him, and in fact, he has made statements that his marriage to his male partner which we would not consider a marriage at all biblically but his relationship with his male partner he says has had a profound influence on him and has drawn him closer to god he's the first openly gay municipal executive in all of indiana and he made a statement just in uh, the last number of days This is a quote from him. I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand that if you have a problem with who I am, your quarrel is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. And then Mike Pence and his uh, office responded. He has said that Mayor Pete Buttigieg knows better. This is what Mike Pence said. He knows better and that has had a relationship with this man, and that he knows that Mike Pence is a man who is of upstanding character. So this is unfortunate and unnecessary by someone who has now jumped into the presidential race for 2020.
0: You know, one of the things that the vice president has been most often mocked about are his convictions concerning his refusal to be alone with women who are not his wife.
7: That's true. Even back as far as the early days, long before the presidential race got into full swing, the presidential race of 2016, the Indianapolis Star noted in one of their articles, they said during his 12 years in Congress, Pence had rules to avoid any infidelity temptations or even rumors of impropriety. Those included requiring that any aide who had to work late to assist him, be male. And he also had the rule of never dining alone with a woman other than his wife and not to attend any event where alcohol is served unless his wife, Karen, was there with him. And then when he became vice president, The View, which is a daily talk show, Joy Behar actually mocked him for having this personal uh, conviction of not having alone time with women and then later she apologized to him for some very poor remarks that she made about him and actually a um, word of life a ministry that I was with for 21 years actually also had this personal policy of men and women not being alone together without a third party and it's simply a matter of protection it's not a it's not a matter of foolishness or anything like that, it's a matter of wisdom to try to maintain purity uh, as we would understand the Bible would expect of us.
0: David, another area of one of the most intense aspects of the culture wars is the issue of abortion, and that has definitely come to the forefront of the national consciousness with the new movie Unplanned.
7: That's true. I went to see the movie on Wednesday evening. I just have to tell you and our listeners, for those who have not yet seen it, every believer, even every non-believer should see it. anyone who has a question about the abortion issue, whether we're talking about the murder of an unborn child. uh, If that is a question in their mind, they should go see. it. And for those of us who believe that it is murder, we should also go see it because it was a motivation. Honestly, it was a motivation to me. I was sitting there thinking, what can I do to be involved in helping more to bring attention to this issue and to stand against this horrible national it's a, it's, a, it's a national policy issue where we as a nation are advocating for the murder of children. We become humans at the moment of conception. And I have to tell you, I found myself at the point of tears more than one time uh, during this movie. It is very powerful, and it brings to light the fact that that this woman who was the director of a Planned Parenthood facility, when she had to go into an operating room and actually see this fetus being destroyed on the ultrasound and being sucked out of this mother's womb, and I know that's graphic, but it is graphic, and it involves the life and death of a child.
0: You know, there has been some concern raised about the movie because of some of those involved with its production. How would you evaluate those criticisms in light of the overall impact of the movie?
7: I have seen some of those criticisms by people who note that there are those involved with the New Apostolic Reformation and the Charismatic Church, Bethel Church, out on the West Coast and have it, and the influence that they had on the movie, but I have to say, since I knew that ahead of time, I was watching for that in the movie, and I would say that that impact is minimal and that the message of the movie far outweighs any of the potential criticism of those who were involved with it that we would disagree with views that are unbiblical, but in this case, I would say that the importance of this movie uh, outweighs any of that, and that influence was really not perceptible in the movie
0: to me. I guess the bottom line is that cultural wars have always existed since believers are in the world, but not of the world, and I would imagine we can expect things to even get worse from here. Would you not agree, David? David?
7: I would say that's absolutely true. I could just give several passages that indicate that. 2 Timothy 3.12 says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John, in John 15.18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter in Second Peter 4 says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial, which uh, when it comes upon you to test you as though it were something strange that was happening to you. And then Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who, pers- who persecute you, and that should be our stance in this world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world and we look forward to the time when Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning in righteousness.
0: Great statement there. We are in the world, but not of the world. That's a biblical principle. David, thank you so much for your research for the time you had to take to see the movie. I'm now going to make it an absolute priority for me personally to go see the movie as well. And again, We recommend that to our listeners out there listening to Prophecy Today. Appreciate uh, this conversation, David. We'll have another one next week on another issue. Thanks so much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to take a look at the book, pull all the broadcast partners' thoughts together, and see what God's Word sheds light on these events as preparation for the rapture of the church. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
7: Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services and the courses for weekend conferences of six to ten hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word: biblicalintegrity.org, and click on courses and seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI
2: website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can
0: visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Each week on Prophecy Today weekend, I give you a prophetic perspective on the week's news. You know, our broadcast partners had excellent reports that gave us the details on current events around the world. In fact, if you missed any of those reports, you can go to prophecytoday.com and then go to PTRN. Prophecy Today Radio Network, all the reports are there for you to listen to. Be sure to tell a friend they need to be able to hear these reports. It will help them to understand the urgency of the moment. Let me go through before I give you my prophetic perspective, the list of my broadcast partners, and we'll see what they had to report to us, which was so key in our understanding of the end-time scenario that is found in God's Word. Ken Timmerman was there in southern France. That's his vantage point for looking at geopolitical activities around the world, and he was talking about the G20 meeting that's going on in Japan and the side meeting that took place between Donald Trump president and Vladimir Putin president of Russia these two presidents getting together to have a very key conversation. And in fact, everybody in the world wanting to listen in on that conversation. At first, it was somewhat lighthearted as it relates to the Russian interference in the U.S. elections. We must remember when we think about Bible prophecy that the United States is is not listed any place in the prophetic word of God, with the only exception, that would be Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2, where the Bible tells us all the nations of the world will gather at Jerusalem. And as I look at the situation, I don't believe America's going to be there. One of the reasons, because so many in the United States know Christ as Lord and Savior, that's the backbone of this nation you take out the backbone, what happens? But Russia is a main player. There, the Magog, found in Ezekiel 38, and that would be the leader of an Islamic world that's going to form a coalition to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. The trilateral security meeting in Jerusalem between the United States, Israel, and Russia, had Russia going on the side of Iran, Iran one of those in that alignment of nations, and a major player. And all that Russia seems to be doing is siding with the Islamic world against the Jewish state of Israel. That's Bible prophecy. David Dolan gave us his Middle East News update talking about that peace conference going on in Bahrain did not even make a blip on Israeli radar. Their political arena is very hectic as they approach the next election there in Israel. That will be September the 17th. Now, we're hoping and praying that there will be a new government formed, whether it will be the prime minister or not, that is yet to tell. But in the elections, we'll see what the trend is and how that will all come about. Remember, God has put human government in place to guide humankind on this earth. That's Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. And down through the centuries, that has been the case. And in fact, in the future, Revelation chapter 17, verse 17, reveals to us that God will use world leaders to make political decisions to set prophecy in place. Winky Madad explaining the Bahrain Economic Conference helped us to know that world leaders have worked for peace for years and years, and it's never been accomplished. Maybe they think that Donald Trump can make it happen, so he sends his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, to Bahrain, and the approach has been economic. Let's make the Palestinians prosperous, and then we'll see some type of peace." I'm not sure that's going to work. Winky gave us a great explanation of how that may fall apart. John Rood gave us information normally on the European Union, but we asked him this time about the G20. What do they do? Why do they do it? And of course, they're in Japan doing it. Sounds like the formation of a world government. You got to remember in Revelation chapter 18, the Antichrist will form a world government it'll be an economic, political, governmental power. That's talking about what the model was there in the book of Genesis chapter 11, when Nimrod, great-grandson of Noah, brought about the one city in the world, not spreading out across the world with the population repeopling the earth. Instead, a one-world government, that will be the end as well. That's Revelation chapter 18, and that formation is quickly coming together. I loved my conversation with Don DeYoung. We talked about an earthquake at the Dead Sea. That was very interesting. There is no prophecy that absolutely says there will be an earthquake at the Dead Sea. However, the Dead Sea is on the Rift Valley earthquake fault line that extends from Syria in the north to Kenya in the south. Many, many earthquakes have taken place down through history in that part of the world. And the Bible tells us, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, when Jesus Christ steps back on the Mount of Olives at his second coming— That will split all the way over to the Temple Mount, open up a valley for all the enemies that have gathered to stop Jesus from returning to the earth. They can make their way to the Jezreel Valley and there wait for the appearance of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who will come and destroy those armies that have gathered against his return. And of course, at the Dead Sea, there's going to be fresh water and fishing that's going to be a result of a flow of water coming out of the temple in Jerusalem. It goes into the Kidron Valley. It will be a freshwater lake, and also it will be a place of great fishing. By the way, Don said that an explosion underneath the Dead Sea could cause something just like that. Well, what I've just given you is a list of evidence that reveals that we are in the last of the last days. And the next event on God's calendar of activities is the rapture, when he calls all of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior into the heavenlies to be with him forevermore. And by the way, that rapture could happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until.